Welcome to the Battleground Wisconsin. My name is Matt Bruskin. I'm the Deputy Director here at Citizen Action of Wisconsin. Welcome to another sweaty, hot, warm summer week. And it's uh, hot and warm all over the country. And it is uh, certainly sparking discussions of uh, climate change. We have with us Robert Craig on this hot, warm, sweaty week. Robert is the Executive Director here at Citizen Action. Welcome, Robert. Welcome and speak for yourself for the sweaty. Uh, that's a personal thing, but I, I don't mind the heat, but I do mind runaway global warming. And this is all happening you know, a decade earlier than projected, which should really create a national emergency. But of course, that's not the way our society or our government is acting or the corporate elite that dominate it. Well, Robert, it is uh, another week that reflects all of the oddities of the state. We have a number of topics, and uh, we also have some guests. We're going to be joined in the show by our newly minted, endorsed Lieutenant Governor candidate, Sarah Rodriguez. Very happy to have Sarah with us later in the show. And we're also going to be joined by Priscilla Bort, who is our new movement politics director here at citizen action we're really happy to have priscilla she will come on and tell us more about herself and exciting program coming up ahead in uh here at citizen action under priscilla but robert we're going to get the show started we have we have a number of topics that we we have a couple of segments here to talk about um and i want to get started with what i would say is sort of the big news of the week here politically and that is Donald Trump, uh, not that we're going to not not the hearing, the ongoing hearing, which will be on Thursday evening. We're going to get our next round of that. But uh, Donald Trump placed a call to our speaker, Robin Voss, uh, this week. And it was over the news that we talked about last week, uh, the Supreme Court outlawing ballot boxes and Trump perceiving this as a yet another opportunity to raise his false idea that this means the election was false and he should have won and we should overturn the election. So Robert, he called Robin Voss this week to try to convince him that he should uh, continue to overturn the election. Uh, Voss says he uh, turned down the go- turned down the, the president. Um, but Robert, this just continues to show uh, how serious, you know, like the state of shall we say, the peril of our democracy is we, we we're in the middle of gripping hearings where it is patently obvious that the president orchestrated an insurrection of this country and just keeps doubling down with uh, Speaker Voss, who, by the way, got to love this, called him a rhino. Robert? Yeah, so this is, is not a famous Wisconsin political phone call at the level yet of the uh, famous uh, fake Koch brother calling Scott Walker during the 2011 workers' rights protest, or the a recorded Trump call to Brad Rathenberger asking him to find the extra number of votes needed to win Georgia. But this has been top of the national news. Donald Trump is still at it. He is still spinning the big lie. We know that. That is why uh, the disgraced Justice Gableman is still running a, a fake investigation with, uh, with all of our mo- public money. Uh, because of Voss's politics. And Voss reveals something interesting, and this is where a Scott Walker is, for example. He knows the election wasn't stolen. 
they know Donald Trump is a, is a, is a complete menace, but he's more interested in his political career because he's nearly shadow governor, given the uh, this courts allowing him, both Supreme Courts, U.S. and Wisconsin, allowing him to guarantee a supermajority in the assembly. And he needs to placate Trump because a lot of his party, including the chair of his elections committee, Representative Brandigan from Menominee Falls, are true believers in this. And that's why he can't get rid of Gableman. And Trump keeps threatening him. So Trump tried to make a move and to decide that the horrendous state Supreme Court decision that threw out the safest form of absentee ballot, that is absentee ballot drop boxes, if you actually cared about corruption or the integrity of the vote, but they don't, uh, they got rid of it because they, they're against it because it makes it easier for people to vote. And that's not in their interest because they're anti-democratic. And then most of the state Supreme Court, Hagedorn swings, uh, will take the Republican right-wing line regardless and shape the law accordingly. Uh, but then Trump thinks it automatically de decertifies the 2020 election, which is not what the um, election, what the uh, ruling says. And Voss does know enough not to try to do that and get himself in hot water. But they are going to let Trump take power again. Voss is part of it. Voss is an enabler. And so is mu much of the Republican establishment, the Mitch McConnell types, that also know full well that Trump is a dangerous fascist, but prefer their political power to our democracy. Yeah, Robert, that was the one, you know, key takeaway from this whole conversation. And in, in addition to just the, you know, Trump has no boundaries. Uh, Trump's clearly running for president again. It's very obvious. Uh, and it's it's just it, it, watching Voss try to position himself. By the way, Voss does prove to be probably one of the more effective political people of our time, right? Like he's up there with Walker um, in terms of his generation navigating this whole situation, being you know, really from the old conservative uh, Republican school and finding a way to navigate through uh, a state that is a hotbed for Trump pressure. Um, but uh, one other thing, Robert, I wanted to get your comments on related to, to, to this and, and to Voss in general is uh, Voss was also uh, penalized for the open records violations. Um, wanted to get your thoughts on that because, you know, it just, again, further demonstrating the rot that's actually going on underneath here. Look, this is continued lawlessness even beyond the Trump true believers. I mean, Voss is shown in the in the in in his behavior. He doesn't he wants to appease Trump, but he doesn't really believe Trump and will not risk himself for Trump. But either way, either to cross Trump, hence we still have Gableman, or to uh uh, to go to do something illegal and get himself in trouble on behalf of Trump, because Trump ultimately wants others to go to jail for him. But he has consistently, it's not just this kid, these cases with Gableman, flaunted the open records law, and it shows an attitude. He thinks it's fine for the public not to speak in assembly elections and to have a completely gerrymandered legislature that guarantees a supermajority for Republicans in the purple state because it gives him power. And he thinks it's fine when it's all public money and the law is clear to withhold anything he wants from the public when it's to his political advantage. So it tells you what crass political animal Voss is 
and what a lot of his party is. And I'm not going to say that there are no Democrats who are overly smitten with power, take Joe Manchin, but it's become their party. Their party is about power and democracy doesn't advance, including transparency, which is part of democracy, because it leads to public understanding and actual public knowledge and then debate and input into the actually issues of the state. He doesn't want any of that. He just wants them to rubber stamp it and to do it basically by cultural issues that distract people from the looting the corporate class has been undertaken, like take Foxconn, which we'll talk about later. Robert, we before we go to break, there is one other thing I wanted to get your comment on. We're going to have to keep it tight today because we have uh, have guests, but um, there was other big in-state news, political news. Uh, both Josh Call, the attorney general, and Governor Evers had a big public uh, media event around filing a lawsuit against the chemical companies here in the state over the PFAS contamination. Um, what? Obviously, this is big in terms of we know PFAS. We've talked about it. It's a big deal. We, we've talked a lot about water, uh, both as it relates to CAFOs and PFAS, has become a significant issue in this state, uh, political issue. Ex- t- tell us more about the lawsuit, how this fits in, and uh, why, why is this, is it important? Is this, you know, what, what's the prospects for this? Well, this is fouling waterways throughout Wisconsin and terribly in some areas, and it's getting, it's getting worse. We just discover more and more and more areas. It's very much like lead paint, like uh, what the, what, what the tobacco industry was doing. They, the, 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 uh, the major corporations that spread these chemicals have done it knowingly for decades causing tremendous public health damage and and then tremendous cost to the public trying to figure out how to clean it up. And this is exactly the kind of action we need. We need the federal government too, going after the true bad actors, going after these are major companies that Josh Call and Governor Evers are going after. And I do think it's a good election move because it's important for people to see that uh, see them fighting, and this is something that crosses parties. There's outrage whenever they're uh, understandably when people find out in any region of the state that they've been being poisoned for years and there isn't a solution. And we have this problem where we have Republicans and a U- state supreme court that is hamstringing the government from doing anything directly. So this is uh, not there. There's not new legislation, of course, but even hamstring the Department of Natural Resources. So a lawsuit to get back the damn cost of media of, of remediation is a great idea. And this is very much like the suits of the, uh, for the pharmaceutical companies getting people addicted to opiates. This is exactly the kind of, this is the only liability potentially left for incorporations when, when Republicans dominate government. The thing that's uh, most amazing, not amazing, but it's it makes PFAS so powerful as an issue is, it's terrifying when you find out that you have this in your water system. Uh, and cause, cause there's still so much unknown by the broader public about it. Other than you understand if your water's polluted, uh, that is you're in deep trouble, right? And obviously a number of cities have been tackling this Wausau, uh, Eau Claire, Rhineland or other communities. But um, with that, we, we have to take our first break, Robert, you're listening to the battleground wisconsin we are citizen action you can find us all over the socials and you can find us at citizenactionwi.org 
Welcome back to the Battleground, Wisconsin. We are going to talk about um, Robert's favorite thing, polling, but um, in this case, it's not horse race polling. It's issue polling, which is, um, shall we say, maybe a a slightly better science uh, where a little bit of air is a little bit less damaging. But um, Marquette talked again. They are sort of the polling firm, uh, the polling company around here, even though they're out of the law school, the, the that of record in the state. Um, but they did a national poll that they released yesterday. So yesterday being Wednesday this week around information around the Supreme Court in particular, and, and also looked at how uh, the uh, Hobbes decision maybe is impacting uh, the the uh, enthusiasm that voters have for voting, because there's been a lot of discussion around this. Um, Robert, the big overall news around the Supreme Court is, and folks, you're not going to be shocked, uh, There, it's a lot less popular where it's approval ratings, if you have to call it approval ratings, basically do people view it favorably is is at about 38, 38%, which is significantly down. Um, and obvious, uh, obviously connected to a number of decisions, uh, the Roe v. Wade Hobbs decision being one of them. But Robert, want to get your thoughts both on that, but also uh, very importantly, this um, thing that they found that that uh, while the folks may be very upset at the Supreme Court over this, it does not seem to be motivating uh, in changing the enthusiasm gap that exists for, in particular, Democrats heading into the election this fall, as a number of folks had uh, hoped. Right. So it is important that the Supreme Court's uh, reputation has been dramatically damaged. John Roberts the older brand of conservative had worked very hard to do a lot of reactionary decisions like gutting the Voting Rights Act, like Citizens United, yet still maintain their relative, relative prestige to a disturbing rate. They, the new right-wing justices that Trump put on and some of the ones uh, Bush uh, Jr. had put on before don't care. They're just exercising power. Now that does set up a situation where more careful and moderate Democrats should be a lot less careful about unpacking the court, because once you understand that the court, that the court is not legitimate, that it is a separate lawmaking body unelected with lifetime appointments, and it's imposing an, an unpopular right-wing agenda on the country like a theocracy, uh, then you understand why we, why we need to do what the constitution allows and add more justices because we need to rebalance the court. The court's been packed by the Republicans illegitimately and by Donald Trump. And we can also limit their jurisdiction in Congress. So the moderately Democratic Party, the most cautious part of that, needs to get over itself and adapt to the situation because their various scruples, wherever they come from, aren't applicable now. So the public gets that, which is important, but still going to require Democratic majorities and then getting a yes, uh, to, because that's the only thing that's going to stop this runaway Supreme Court. But this also finds that although the Roe v. Wade decision, Hobbes decision, is very unpopular, it doesn't, hasn't automatically increased uh, emotional intensity of Democratic voters, as Republicans still have more, according to the Marquette poll. And in addition, it hasn't caused uh, the people who were most upset about it to increase their like likelihood of voting. And this should not be a surprise. There is a tendency on the Democratic side to assume an issue will organize for us. And that the issue, if it's a big issue, will be the only issue. 
and neither of those are ever true. We can make Roe v. Wade an issue that drives election turnout and harms Republican prospects so we have a better chance of doing something if we organize around it. But a lot of our base rightly thinks we have a Democratic president, we have a Democratic governor, why is this happening? Why should I even vote? In other words, we have, we have allowed the reputation of government to act to be totally trashed. And Joe Manchin has helped accelerate that process, but it's going on for decades. A number of Democrats, Bill Clinton included, have joined in the trashing of government. And so that's where we are right now. We need to inspire people and then we need to actually deliver. And we also need to understand it's not the only issue. We need inspiring candidates that will run on issues that make more people, people who would not vote in a midterm election, feel like voting could improve their lives, their life prospects, their communities, and not enough of them feel that way. And you know what? It's not an irrational judgment given the performance of government and uh, in, in the last couple of decades. Well, that's an excellent segue, Robert, into why Citizen Action endorsed one of the reasons, one of the many reasons endorsed Mandela Barnes uh, for Senate. I think it's very important to have someone who energizes the base, gets our folks excited, will actually get folks out. So, uh, Robert, big news this week as it relates to that and that uh, sort of strategic principle. Uh, Bernie Sanders announced this week his endorsement of Mandela Barnes, which is huge news, uh, sort of really solidifies Mandela as the progressive candidate now with both um, Elizabeth Warren, AOC, and Bernie Sanders, and a whole host of other folks, uh, including moderates, um, uh, more moderate folks like Booker uh, supporting. And also Booker was in town. But Robert, uh, it is big news, uh, Bernie's endorsement. Right. So I think uh, Dem progressives in the Democratic primary should have all of the you know, validation they need now between Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Rosen, um, AOC, and and there are others uh, that the the progressive candidate is Mandela Barnes, and but Mandela Barnes is also running to win, so he is trying to run more like Tammy Baldwin. So he is uh, he is being very strategic in how he explains his progressivism. What he is doing is explaining it in common language that also appeals to non-progressives, which is what you need to do in, to win in a purple state like Wisconsin. And, you know, I'm very happy that Tom Nelson, the other candidate running for the progressive mantle here, um, has adopted much of Bernie's agenda, was legitimately a Bernie delegate. But that was not his record in the state assembly. Tom himself would, would own that. And I don't really think there's evidence he's run out of Gibby County like Bernie Sanders. And in addition, he just, he just does not have the same potential. He's not likely to win. I mean, he's way behind, okay? So you're, I, I don't know what the analysis is that, that Tom Nelson's likely to win the primary. But even so, I think that there's a much better case for Bernie Sanders exciting and motivating our base and matching the huge Republican turnout that can be predicted and expected uh, than Tom Nelson. That's a judgment call, but that's certainly my political judgment on the matter. Uh, but also, I think it matters that Mandela Barnes will be the 18th African-American center in U.S. history, and that a lot of those occurred in Reconstruction before the imposition of Jim Crow and what was called redemption at the time. 
Well, Robert, in addition to the Bernie Sanders news, I do want to, before we go to break and then are joined by the lieutenant, our lieutenant governor candidate, I want to get ahead of ourselves uh, and declare her the lieutenant governor. Uh, but Robert, on the other side, uh, really big news I want to get your thoughts on. And I certainly, uh, it got me agitated uh, with seeing Republican gubernatorial flip-flopping uh, rich kid Tim Michaels criticizing the Foxconn deal that he made millions in his company, maybe approaching billions uh, in revenue. Hundreds of millions. <laughs> Insane amounts of money uh, criticizing Foxconn and in particular daring to try to criticize Evers uh, renegotiation of it. It was quite, it was quite the stretch and who like uh, the advice to, to like, you should wade into the Foxconn debate. That's a good idea for you. What? Remember that was their messaging the hell? when Evers after complete non-performance of contract by Foxconn uh, uh, at early in his first term, and I think during the election campaign, said he'd renegotiate, and they immediately jumped to it was working great, it was about to work, and it's Evers's fault. So, in a way, this is conventional. It is very much like this is the right Trump candidate. Say anything. I, I got hundreds of millions of dollars from the Foxconn deal, but I'm going to trash it and I'm going to blame the Democrats for it when it was a deal between Scott Walker and Donald Trump, and the whole. This is what everyone needs to remember. The whole corporate establishment in this state lined up and validated it. I waited seven hours to testify. And uh, and Stephanie Bloomingdale, the president of the AFLCO, and I got, finally got to testify late into the night. And what I said, which was, you know, I did a lot of fire breathing. I, I underestimated how bad it would be. And it is amazing. Where are all those great business interests? Where is WMC in Milwaukee Metropolitan Association of Commerce? A lot of the UW system people who came and you, uh, to support it so they could like continue to try to beg for money from the state, from right-wing legislatures, all of that. And now we have Tim Michaels, who benefited from it, also trying to, to, uh, to, to distance himself from it. So it's classic. And just remember, if Tim Michaels is governor, we have this legislature, there'll be more Foxconn. Oh. Maybe they'll be smaller, <laughs> but their view of economic development is give our money to corporations and hope for the best because they're the, they're the ones who know best and they know best how to loot us. They don't well, really care about the common interest. They certainly don't care about Racine and Kenosha. And I should say it's interesting, all the Democrats were ducking uh, that supported it from the, from the Southeast corner of Wisconsin and wouldn't talk to the reporters. Yes. Well, that's not a shocker. Folks, we got to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to be joined by our newly endorsed Lieutenant Governor candidate, Sarah Rodriguez. You're listening to the Battleground Wisconsin with Citizen Action. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. Again, we're Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org, all over the socials. And if you are on those socials, you would have noticed and seen a blizzard of endorsement activities. And namely, you would have seen that we endorsed Sarah Rodriguez for lieutenant governor. And we are thrilled that Sarah has been able to join us this morning. Hot off a hot debate last night. Sarah, great to have you. 
Oh, thank you so much for having me. Yes, I hope everybody got to see the debate last night. Uh, it was really nice to be able to talk to people in Wisconsin. Well, we, by all accounts and what I saw, you did fabulous. Um, Sarah, tell our listeners a little bit more. Lieutenant Governor, it's um, obviously a position that runs in uh, in the general election in this on, on a ticket with the governor. Uh, but tell us, tell our listeners who may not know a ton about you, tell us a little bit more about yourself and why you're running for Lieutenant Governor and why you think you'd be really great to run with Governor Evers. Well, thank you so much for having me on and thank you so much for Citizen Action Endorsement. It means a lot to me. So I am currently a legislator today. I represent District 13 within the assembly. That's the Western suburbs of Milwaukee. And I flipped that district this last election cycle from Republican to Democrat. So I know the type of hard work it's gonna take to win in a purple district. And I know the hard work we're gonna have to do to make sure that we reelect Governor Evers this November, because I can't think of anything that's more, um, you know, that would have a bigger effect on our day-to-day lives than reelecting Governor Evers. Prior to being in the assembly, I was a healthcare executive, managed large teams, multi-million dollar budgets. Believe I can be a really good partner to Governor Evers in something as large and complicated as the Wisconsin state government. But for much of my career and where my heart really lies is I, as a public health nurse, that's what I did. And that's the lens that I want to bring to the lieutenant governor's role, which is one of investment in our kids and communities and one of prevention. Because I know all of you know here, and um, I know that as a clinician, that really the medicine we give you and the procedures we do have very little to do with how healthy you are. It's where you live, the air you breathe, the water you drink, and whether you've got a good paying job to put food on the table. Well, you you mentioned in that intro that you flipped an assembly seat, which there was one of only two, I believe, in the right? cycle. Huge, mm-hmm. uh, very important, but um, which we think is impressive and speaks about how you relate to voters and voters across the spectrum, but also really important to us, Sarah, you know, and you talked about is your background in healthcare mm-hmm. uh, and that you've in the state legislature been someone who has really put that to use and has been someone who's been an activist in terms of trying to get reform of the system in spite of the just the gridlock in the legislature. But also uh, for folks who don't know, you are a member of our Healthcare for All organizing co-op and, you know, have been really a close close, work closely with us. And I know you and Robert, I'll defer to Robert after this, you and him have certainly talked too about policy and stuff. So we really appreciate that relationship where you don't just view yourself as, you know, a legislator on their own and that you really try to co-govern and work uh, with a group like us. Um, uh, Thoughts on that comments, uh, because we consider that really important aspect of why we think you'd be a great Lieutenant Governor. Yeah, I am part of the co-op, work very closely with Citizen Action and some of the legislative priorities that you have. Um, I actually co-authored the BadgerCare expansion, which was really important for Wisconsin. Um, That would have saved us uh, $640 million and brought almost $2 billion into the state. And that is um, something that we could have invested in programs for vulnerable kids, vulnerable adults, and vulnerable um, older folks within Wisconsin. And we couldn't even get a hearing on it 
the Republican legislature wouldn't even have a discussion about bringing $2 billion into the state for investment. And that's what's so frustrating is because when you ask Wisconsinites what they want us to do, they want us to work together. They want us to do things like expanding Badger Care. And that's how out of touch the Republicans are is they won't even have a discussion on it. They won't even have a hearing on it. Hey, Sarah. So, and thanks for doing this. I know it's a fight. Will disrupt your summer and fall just a little <laughs> running statewide so you know we, you know a lot about health care so you also know that there are a lot of issues of access and affordability in wisconsin uh you talked about the affordability to government the the wisconsin the what scott walker's side do on badge care expansion is the worst of both worlds Mm-hmm. It actually costs us more money to cover fewer people. The other non-expansion states, uh, it doesn't cost them more money. It's still evil, but it doesn't cost them more money. This is even worse. We've given away billions and we've left a lot of people in a gap. And, uh, and some of those vulnerable people, the working poor. So, I, uh, you know, Governor Evers, he's been very strong on batch care expansion. He ran in 2018 and did put this in his last budget on a prescription drug price board. You know, prescription drug prices are a huge issue, and that's one of the stronger things a state could do. That that tends to be more national issue, and may Congress may actually get something through now on Medicare negotiating through the budget reconciliation process. But Wisconsin general healthcare prices are very high, and we're a middle-income state. And really nothing has been done in a very long time, nothing attempted. We were really pleased that uh, Governor Evers' last budget did put in the batch care public option proposal we have been advocating for quite some time. Uh, it started with us and Eric Genrich, now the mayor of Green Bay, when he, is in the state, when he was a state representative. And now there's a new bill that Christina Shelton is the lead sponsor on that is even more comprehensive. And, and But that would give, give people an option that would be uh, cheaper than private commercial insurance. Uh, but I'm wondering, because if you are both you will be an advisor on how you run in the general election and then in the governor's office once elected and once nominated, you will actually be in a different relationship with Governor Evers. You will then be running mates, but not before. Uh, I'm wondering what some of the things you might advise him, because I actually think uh, there's a mistake being made. This is on the political end in that People don't see healthcare popping as one of the top issues, but inflation is the top issue, and some of the top inflation issues are healthcare issues. And in fact, a lot of healthcare issues are cost issues. I looked at Colorado. This is just an example. The difference in the cost of living, and they they have much. Their housing is 117 percent higher. Okay, 177 percent higher, but our health insurance is 20 percent higher. See what I mean? And we have lower incomes because they have to have higher incomes to live in a place like Denver. So I'm just wondering what you might advise about more comprehensive reform getting because Badger Care expansion is kind of a, it is a no brainer except for Republicans, uh, but what you would advise as a, the, the governor, both in terms of how to run and some of the things he could do once reelected. So I, I think there are a lot of areas that we could work on. You talked about the prescription, um, the pharmacy review board and the public option. Those things were in the governor's budget. And you're right. When I talk to people across the state, uh, it, yes, inflation comes up. Um, however, when you know, healthcare comes up all the time too. 
it is a real challenge for folks, even middle income folks to be able to get the care that they need because many people, even if they're on their private insurance plans, commercial insurance plans have very high deductibles. And so they may delay care because they're not able to pay those deductibles. And so as we move forward, I think we can look at other states for uh, ideas and options of what we can do to lower prices. We are not unique here in Wisconsin. We can do things to make sure that people can afford the health care that they, are, they have earned and that they are owed because health care is a human right. Absolutely. And you know, uh, we're doing a statewide survey. It's not, it's not done yet on people's healthcare experience. That'll, when we did this three years ago, it was completely eye-raising how many people are avoiding care. One of the reasons they avoid care is not just in terms of their insurance policy, but because they never know what they're going to be charged. Yeah. Going to, say, a major hospital, it is, it, it, it is less transparent than, you know, than a flea market as for Persian rug bazaar, all the stereotypical difficult commercial situations, uh, because you're, you always get a, a surprise. You always have some $1,500 charge for the anesthesiologist that you didn't expect or something like that, or, or it's not really coded as preventive care when it's supposed to be preventive care under the Affordable Care Act. You have any thoughts on that? Because I think a lot of people don't even know they just avoid care because they think they can't afford it. And they're near the margin. A whole lot of people are very close to the margin. It's getting worse right yeah. now because of inflation. So there was that federal legislation on surprise billing that um, I think- Oh, so it's kind of limited definition. That'd be it is, it is. It's yeah. a limited definition on the, the federal end. Um, one of the areas that I thought was interesting in that, um, and what they mean as surprise billing is, it's not so much that you don't know what you're going to get charged, but if there is an out of network anesthesiologist, you have no way of knowing that um, when you go in for your surgery and suddenly you get charged for out of network fees. Um, one of the areas that I was looking at legislatively for surprise billing is, um, you know, that also doesn't include, the federal doesn't include emergency services. And so um, up in, uh, you know, in different areas, they may not have an ambulance service that is covered underneath their insurance plan. So all of that is, is out of network for them. And these awful stories that I've heard about, you know, their child has anaphylaxis and had a huge allergic reaction. They had to call the ambulance and then they got charged thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars for that ambulance. And so I think we can be more transparent with our prices. Um, we, you know, there are some federal regulations there. We could mirror the state regulations to the federal regulations to make sure that people have a better understanding of what um, things cost. Uh, but you're right, it is a complicated system. And I think there are administrative and legislative solutions that we could continue to pursue. We have just a little bit left in this segment. Uh, really appreciate you taking the time. Tell our listeners, before you go, if they want to get involved, obviously resources are always of help and volunteers Yep. or just get more information. Where should they go? So uh, I want to make sure that everyone is voting on August 9th. That's the first thing. And then you can also go to my website at S-A-R-A-F-O-R-W-I.com. Learn a little bit more about me. You can volunteer from there. And if you choose, you can always support the campaign through a donation. That would be fantastic. Well, I encourage folks uh, to get on there and donate. It's very, very, very important, especially when you're running a statewide campaign. You're trying to get your name out, folks. Help Sarah out. 
help her out, get on there, make a donation, get involved. Sarah, thank you so much for running. Thank you so much for taking time uh, to talk with us today. All right. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. And with that, folks, we got to take a break. You're listening to The Battleground Wisconsin. Welcome back to The Battleground Wisconsin. It was great to have, I'll say it, our next Lieutenant Governor, Sarah Rodriguez, with us. Folks, please do really help help her out if you can. And if you need more information, go check out that website. But we are fortunate to have our second guest, back-to-back guests. And, I, you know, guest is going to be a loose term because I think uh, our listeners are going to be hearing a lot more from Priscilla Bort. Priscilla is our new movement politics director. Priscilla, it's great to have you on the show. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. That's great. It's, well, you know, it's great to have you in Citizen Action. Why don't you tell our listeners who may not know about some of your previous work, uh, particularly at the Wisconsin Working Families Party, where I certainly got to know you very well over the last number of years, but tell our listeners more about yourself. Yeah. Uh, so like Matt said, my name is Priscilla or Priscilla Rose. I'm so excited to be the movement politics director here. Um, to give a little background about myself, I got into this type of work a little over four years ago now. Um, knowing survivors of gun violence, the Parkland shooting really opened my eyes for me to the frustration that I and so many people were feeling about, you know, those with power constantly just standing by and watching things happen. Of course, we know it's only gotten worse um, since then, but my first ever march was the March for Our Lives. I remember like walking away from that after talking to the organizers and being like, oh, this is my community. I want to be part of this. So I started volunteering, going to rallies, going to protests. And on a July 105 degree day with like no clouds, no breeze, um, I happened to meet Mandela Barnes, who was running for lieutenant governor at the time. How about Um, that? Yeah, I know. I always say that I was just going to say hi so I could say that I said hi to our next lieutenant governor. And from somewhere within, I was like, do you need volunteers? Um, So I volunteered for his lieutenant governor campaign, um, got to know him. I'm so lucky to be able to call him a friend now, too. Um, Love watching his journey now into the Senate, which of course we'll talk about more volunteer opportunities, but we can't get there without (laughs) all of your listeners help. Um, So from there, I worked for the Democratic Party for like a hot three months and then started working at Wisconsin WFP, where I worked with so many different candidates from school board, um, all the way up to, you know, working on behalf of Biden and getting the vote out in Wisconsin. So just a myriad of different folks. I love working with down ballot candidates. Uh, school board will always and forever be my like biggest jam. Um, well, Priscilla, that is an area uh, yeah. we have. We have a deep kindred alignment, the importance of things like school board. In fact, um, that I remember very well working with you and meeting you around the first time you were working for the working families party and you managed, I believe it was a slate of like five, four or five, five. Yeah. It was, it was a ridiculous (laughs) request of a, of an, of a young new organizer. And not only did you hold down the show for all of them, I believe they, they all won. And are part of a really great majority on the school board here in Milwaukee. 
we're we're lucky that they were part of you know ending the contract or trying to end the contract between MPS and MPD. You know, getting rid of some of these metal detectors, doing what they can. You know, they they had a big thing thrown at them with the pandemic being probably right around a year into their first term. Pandemic happened, and you know, most of them did what they they all did what they could. Um, but they've been, yeah, they've really helped out. And we got the referendum passed in 2020 because of them. Um, it's been great. Yeah. You know, and I want to get your thoughts on this. This is important because part of one of the big things you're going to be doing here at Citizen Action, and quite frankly, you've already been doing through the Working Families Party, is we think candidates matter a lot. And we have to get a lot more serious about investing, finding and investing in folks uh, who often are not, you know, not, they're looked over. Their leadership is often ignored, yeah. um, in particular, women, women of color, and trying, and folks that, you know, maybe don't have all the wealth, can't buy an election seat and try to inspire and recruit a whole new generation of folks who will run and run on doing structural change, actually changing some of these structures you mentioned right, the, the, the connection between uh, some of our public schools and police and electing a board that actually went in and is, is taking on some of those big, big yeah. fights. Talk more about that in your work and how, you know, that you see happening over the next few years uh, as yeah. movement politics director. Absolutely. Um, I'm so excited to be in a like bigger movement politics role. I think over these last few weeks, I have been thinking so much about what movement politics means to me and what it means in the state of Wisconsin as well. Um, you know, what it means to finally have candidates and elected officials who are ready and willing to co-govern with us and work side by side with progressive groups. Um, and I think the first thing when it comes to movement politics and getting ready to recruit and train everything is just acknowledging that like Wisconsin has a ways to go. Like we have great movement candidates this year. Like we've got Mandela, we've got Darren Madison over in the 10th assembly district, uh, but we still got a whole lot of work to do, but I'm really excited to, to get it going. Um, I want and I need more movement folks to be ready to run for office and willing to run for office or willing to just help more people run for office. Um, you know, the way politics often looks, not just in Wisconsin, but everywhere, is straight white men are so ready to step up while black and brown folks, black and brown women um, do the work to get them elected and then kind of just get pushed off to the side and not acknowledged or acknowledged really, really quickly. Uh, so my long-term goal, the way that I want to do things and change things is be able to recruit and train and then elect more by BIPOC folks, women, transgender, non-binary folks. Um, I always will say that if somebody thinks they're unqualified for office, but they're just thinking of running, like that makes you qualified. And uh, we need more of those people. Like we just need people to be ready to step up because we're all ready to back them. We're all ready to do what we can to elect them. We just need, they just need a little encouragement. So I hope I can be there to be that little, little encouragement in their, in their head, in the back of their mind um that they're ready to run because i'm ready to work with them yeah you know it's uh when i hear you say that it reminds me mandela one of his standard lines is look if you want to change what's happening if you want to change congress you've got to change who you send there 
Yeah. It's the same thing. If we want change, if we want to do structural change, it's not enough for us just to organize and organize people. We really got to think thoughtfully about who are the leaders and we have to change who's in those offices. Robert. So, uh, Priscilla Rose, I'll give your full name. Um, the, uh, it's great to have you here. Uh, and great that you chose to apply and to work here. We can build a whole lot of power together. Um, can you say a little more about what, I, what we sometimes call worldview? In other words, you rightly pointed out the lack of inclusion in our political system and who, who gets people elected versus who serves and who, who, who steps up uh, or not even steps up, who even thinks they're qualified. You pointed that out. But then obviously it's not just about the individual, it's about what they're gonna do for all of the people left out in our society. And so we're not just looking, uh, we're not looking for kind of representational diversity. That is, if you just represent other excluded groups that's sufficient and then you can vote for the status quo, not do what's necessary but people who wanna actually not only open up our politics personally by being elected, but then wanna open up our economy and our democracy for everyone. And so I know you think this, but I thought I just wanna add that because we, we, we think people need to have both, not, not one or the other. Yeah, absolutely. I think a lot of times when people think about running for office, they're so anxious to have this long 10 point policy plan that they can answer every single question and like they have something written out for every single issue um but like we know voters volunteers look for the values they look for finding similar values so they can vote for oh cool mandela's got the same value he values healthcare. i value healthcare. that's great um, so it's a lot about like finding like just understanding what you as a voter as you as a volunteer value find the candidate that matches up with that yeah now there's also the problem of people once they get to these systems they have a culture and they drag people back to what has been defined as possible which is often what the major interests even allow like you get in discussions about the climate conversion with democrats and they're saying well we energies won't do that it's like well why are we letting we energies so what do you think, how do you think we can prepare people to actually continue the fight on the inside and then to work with people on the outside? Because you really are pretty powerless if you're only one state representative or one alderman or one, you know, member of a school board, unless you're working with movements outside. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think, first of all, it takes people to stand up and step up with bold, like transformative change. I know we hear that a lot, uh, but I think it's also preparing candidates for when they do get elected. All right, we're going to be with you. You may be alone in your county board, but like you'll have us, you'll have other progressive groups. We don't, our work does not end on election day. Like it goes beyond that. So I think it's just making sure candidates know they're not alone. Yeah. I think it's critical because voters who have been jaded by our democracy are, they may have also promises made to them to make your healthcare affordable. I'm going to create jobs and then nothing happens. And so we need to go over that cynicism and deliver for people, I think, Priscilla. And that means choosing and working for people and then working with them in office who actually want to change the system and open it up and create true equality, a true multiracial democracy. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Priscilla, 
really appreciate you taking the time to join us today, but we are at time and have to end the show and we will have you on a lot more, uh, but folks, uh, please, Priscilla, give out your contact info, uh, your, your email for people who want to reach out to you. Uh, yeah. If you are at all potentially interested in thinking about running for office, or if you want to get involved, we're going to have significant field opportunities, including we've already got phones and doors and things for Mandela. How should they get in touch with you? They should. Uh, my email is Priscilla, P-R-I-S-C-I-L-L-A dot B-O-R-T at citizenactionwi.org. Please email me. Um, I am excited to work with all of you. I'm excited to see you all out on the doors and on the phone banks too. Uh, but please let me know if you're ready to run for office, ready to be a campaign manager. I am ready for you. All right. Thank you, Priscilla. And with that, we got to wrap up the show. We want to thank Priscilla for joining us. Thanks for having me. Yeah. And we also want to thank our next Lieutenant Governor, Sarah Rodriguez, for joining us. Folks, thanks for listening every week. We'll be back next week. Stay cool, everyone. Stay safe. Thank you. See you next week at the Battleground Wisconsin.